This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Exodus chapter 20. We are sort of coming to the end of our series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Ten words out of slavery and into freedom, and that's uh, kind of a sad thing because we've enjoyed the study. Uh, I've enjoyed the study. I trust you have. Uh, Enjoyed the study of the Ten Commandments, and we're on number eight today, and we're not going to add any. That's the temptation of uh, Christians is to add and create our own laws, and we're not going to do that. We're just going to go with God's. So we are coming to the end. We're on number eight today. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to read all the Ten Commandments up to where we are today, beginning in verse one with the prologue where God announces himself as the one who brought the people out of Egypt. And then we'll read the eighth and then we'll uh, teach on it from there. So Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods Before me, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." For in six days the Lord made them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And today's verse, verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holy word to us. We thank you that you freed your people in this passage from slavery by your grace and freed them to live a life that would reflect who you are. And we pray that today as we read this, that we would walk in that grace, that we who have been delivered from the domain of darkness would be freed to Honor you by fulfilling all that is behind this command, do not steal. God, we pray uh, for any who wouldn't know you today, that this would be the day that they experience new life in Jesus Christ as they see their need for a Savior from this passage. Lord, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word. We pray that we would all be hearers and doers of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not steal. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's a pretty simple command. And uh, I, I was thinking about how life would be different if everyone on the planet completely obeyed this command. I mean, how would life be different? I was thinking, for instance, like my pockets would be a lot lighter because there would be no keys. So you think about that. If no one stole, there would be no keys because there'd be no locks. Each one of these keys represents something that I am trying to protect you from swiping from me. Uh, Probably no one in this room, but just in case, I have my keys. and I can even lock and unlock one of my cars from kind of a distance here and do that deal. So keys represent the fact that there needs to be protection from stealing. I thought about on my phone... um, uh, my BlackBerry phone here, that when it comes on, there's a little message that says, um, if found, return, and it has my name and phone number for a reward. 
Why does it say that? Because that information that's in there is very important to me. And I would like to convince a would-be person who found it or stole it that it would be more valuable to them for me to pay them an undisclosed reward for the return of my phone rather than them keeping it for their own benefit. So the impetus on reward is if you found this, it's worth it not to steal it, but to return it. Keys, alarms. What about alarms? If there was no stealing, there would be no alarms. There'd be an entire industry that would be obliterated. There'd still be police because there's other commandments that are broken here. But there'd be no security guards because security guards just protect things largely from being stolen. No security guards. If everyone obeyed this command, and won't glory be great for this reason, there'd be no passwords. No pa- I can't remember my passwords that secure my data or my possessions. So there'd be no, you could just have an ATM card without a password because nobody would take your card and punch it in and take cash out. No need for that sort of thing. And stealing is so common in our society that it even shows up in places you wouldn't expect it. Yesterday in the Dallas Morning News, there was a headline story about an arrest that has been made in the Crime Stoppers organization. Crime Stoppers is like what its name indicates, an organization that pays cash for tips. So if you have an anonymous tip on a crime and you give it to Crime Stoppers and the person is arrested and convicted, Crime Stoppers will give you a magic code word and a bank. And you anonymously go to the bank, you give them the magic code word and a number, I think, and they give you cash. Someone in Crime Stoppers was stealing and giving the code word and number to their friend who could go to the bank and get the cash. Crime starters is what that person (laughs) was doing. Stealing at Crime Stoppers. Ever so often, I take an entire day of study and research uh, to get resources that I don't have, and I go to a seminary library. And at the seminary library I study at, there's signs posted, Secure Your Valuables. Now, it's in sort of an urban area with foot traffic, and so perhaps I'm hoping I'm pr- that, that that's so that people don't wander in off the street and steal in the seminary. Li- seminary is a place where people are trained for missions and pastoral ministry and Christian counseling and such. That, that would seem like that we don't need that sign there. So I would leave my laptop out while I would go do something and research, and so... I asked one of the security guards, I said, I said Son, is, it really, is my laptop safe if I leave it out? True story, this is what he said. Some people are about to get very excited. He said, if it's a PC, it's safe. If it's a Mac, it is not. <laughs> I have a PC, so I left it there. But all of you who are in the cult enjoyed that story. Uh, <laughs> A Mac is not safe, but a PC is. So that's great. I left my Dell and went and had lunch and came back an hour later, and it was good. It was there. Don't steal. We live in a culture that it's hard to even imagine a world without stealing. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about this commandment, what is forbidden, what is required implicitly by this command, how does Jesus interact and fulfill this command? I'm going to talk about that as well, and we'll make some application. This is going to be an application-heavy message because I think it's easy for us to think, I wouldn't steal your laptop, I wouldn't steal your car, uh, I'm not taking money from banks, I'm not an armed robber or a burglar, so I'm not, this doesn't relate to me. But I want to look at this because I think this relates to everyone in the room, and I think we've all broken it multiple times, and we'll look at that. Uh, First of all, this commandment has to do with how we are to treat others. The first few commands are vertical. They're directly how we relate to God. We have no other gods. We have no idols. We don't take his name in vain. We honor his day, uh, the Sabbath, by keeping it holy. But then there's a shift, honor our father and mother. Then there is a shift where the commands are more horizontal in nature. But stealing sort of relates to each of those, if you think about it. Um, We'll talk about that in a minute. But each of the commands has to do with how we relate to other people. So the sixth command tells us that we are to treat our neighbor's life as sacred. You cannot take your neighbor's life. 
cannot take another person's life because life is sacred. The seventh commandment, your neighbor's marriage is sacred, so you may not have a sexual relationship with your neighbor's spouse because their marriage is sacred and so is yours, and you want to preserve that. This eighth commandment, we are to treat our neighbor's possessions as sacred. So his or her life is sacred, his or her marriage is sacred, and so are his or her possessions sacred. And so there's numbers of types of theft that this command would forbid. First would be, probably most obviously, property theft. You are not allowed to take something that belongs to another person. Stealing is taking something, unlawful taking of someone else's property, something that belongs to them. And it's a serious offense in the scripture. Oftentimes we say if someone steals, they have a debt to society and we imprison them. Uh, In the Bible, restitution is required, and it's a pretty serious restitution. You can just go over two chapters to chapter 22, verse 1. And look what God prescribes in the law. If a man, 22.1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So, you know, if he can return it, he is to return it double. But if he sold it or killed it, the restitution rate is five to one or four to one, depending on those particular animals. So this is obviously a serious thing, which reveals to us the holiness of God in the commandment and the high degree of restitution that is required. So property theft is forbidden. But when we think about theft, sometimes that's all we think about. I I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't burglarized someone's home or car. But there's a lot of other ways to commit theft besides actually just taking property as described there. There is tax theft. Romans 13, 6 and 7, we'll not look there, but if you want to mark that down, is a clear command of God that if your government requires you to pay taxes, you are required to pay taxes. That you are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, that God commands that we pay taxes. And so it is easy to avoid that, to call a personal expense a business expense and lower our tax requirements. Or it's easy to fail to report some income that maybe came to us apart from what was recorded, some side income, some cash income. Now, we're not required to pay a penny more than what the government requires, and I'm not advocating that. But we're not required to pay, we are required to pay everything that we owe. And if you look at Romans 13, where God requires that, he's really not making allowances for whether or not you agree with the rate of taxation or how the money's being spent by the government. He's really not asking for us to weigh in, for there have been and are societies with uh, tax burdens that are less than ours and some that are greater than ours. But he simply says, pay your taxes unto the Lord. There's debt theft. Debt theft is when we fail to pay a debt to someone, when we fail to make good to cover a debt. That is stealing. And really, even if we buy things beyond our means, in other words, put things on a credit card, for instance, with no way or means of paying that back, no arrangement for for reimbursement, uh, we, in essence, can place ourselves in a position of stealing from a lender who has given us money if we don't repay that debt. There's borrower theft. Borrower theft is when we borrow something. I'm not talking about uh, a financial loan, but something else. We borrow something, and we don't return something. About 100 years ago, a pastor in England named G. Campbell Morgan was preaching on this commandment. And 100 years ago in England... Uh, a more common possession. We have tons of possessions, a variety of possessions, but a prime possession there was books. And G. Campbell Morgan talked about the fact that he said, if we could peruse one another's bookshelves, it'd be amazing what we might find. Now, we could extend that. Video shelves, tools in the toolbox, clothes in the closet, um, 
you know, whatever it would be, we could extend that. But he said, if we could peruse one another's bookshelves, it would be amazing how many borrowed books we might find in the possession of others. And then he said this, he said, he's preaching this, and he says, if these sentences should cause the discovery of some of my books and they are returned to me, I shall be forever grateful for having had this opportunity of enforcing the Eighth Commandment. (laughs) A few months ago, I was looking through my bookshelf, and I had a book that had been a a, a fat book, probably an expensive book, that had been lent to me about four years ago. I didn't intentionally steal it, but I forgot to return it. And here was my first thought. It's been four years. This guy doesn't even know it's missing. It It doesn't mean anything. I don't know where this guy is. I don't even know his address. I don't know how to get in touch with him. It's not somebody I'm in touch with. And I just had the thought, I could just stick this really back up on my shelf, and what's the difference? I thought, that's wrong. That's Now, if I forgot, that's an honest mistake. At this point, I'm stealing if I don't make an effort. So I was able to track him down and get his address and actually mail it back to him. I'm not aware of one of my books being gone, so this is not a hint. If I need a book and you have it, I'll call you. I don't, you know, I don't sort of telegraph things through sermon illustrations. (laughs) But I'd like them back if you do have them, just like G. Campbell Morgan said a hundred years ago. All joking aside, that's how, that's how easy we can deal with other, how, what a lack of respect of God entrusting something to someone else that we have, that we can have, that my first thought was, he's not going to miss this. I think that that, that that reflects a heart and a conscience that at points may not be too serious about God's law and something like this. There's literary theft. Literary theft is plagiarism. We steal someone else's words and use them as our, our own. Literary theft, plagiarism. I got that idea from Kent Hughes in his book on the Ten Commandments. That'll sink in in a minute. Um, I got this idea from him. But when we steal someone else's words and use them as our own, we represent ourselves or misrepresent ourselves, motivated by pride to appear wise or thoughtful or motivated by laziness to not do our own work. Plagiarism is a serious issue. It's something I think about weekly because I read a lot of stuff and I think, I think about crediting sources or, uh, and I'm sure inadvertently many times I've said things that were very close to something I read, but I try to be really careful about that for that reason. It's stealing someone else's ideas and it's motivated, or someone else's words motivated by a pride. Same is true if you're in school. It's easy to borrow from someone else's work. That's stealing, that's lying, that's deceptive, and your teacher may not know. But God knows. God knows when we steal someone else's work and plagiarize. I don't know if you know this, this is actually a big problem in preaching. I actually heard a pastor that you would all, many of you would know, stand up and address how his sermons were being preached almost verbatim, if not verbatim in some other places, and and not being credited. There are people standing to proclaim the very word of God with and representing study and preparation, and it's nothing but a click and a download and a print. That's a serious matter. That's stealing and that's lying as well. There's copyright theft. I guess that's what we'd call it. That's the stealing of music or videos. That's a small thing, right? Well, the bottom line is if you take recorded music from someone else and you then take it for yourself without paying the artist for the material, you are stealing. It's it's just stealing. I did a little looking on this because I was going to share some stats and I, I couldn't get far into it. I didn't have time and the stats were conflicting. And there's a whole line of arguments I was unaware of. There's a whole line of arguments that this is not really that bad. This is not stealing. One guy said, stealing is when an item is taken and is no longer available. So stealing is when you break into someone's car, for instance, and take their car stereo out. It's no longer available. It's stolen. 
file sharing or downloading music you didn't pay for, it's still available for someone else to download. That's not stealing, that's piracy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for cleaning, clearing that all up for us. Pir- I want to aspire to piracy. That's, uh, I'm not a thief, I'm a pirate. <laughs> Honestly, the, the guy was arguing that m- the studies show that people who pirate music end up buying more music in the long run. So piracy is good for the industry. That is very convoluted. The bottom line is, if you buy an enchilada dinner, someone should get paid who prepared that. You owe them money for that dinner. If you get a set of tires, you owe money for that tires. If you download someone's goods, their music, you owe them money for that music. That's, it's a good that's being sold. It's not to be stolen. M- videos. Uh, Software. If we load software and use it against the policy, and I understand there's policies, I understand there's free downloads for music too, I got that, uh, and policies regarding that. But if you download software against the policy without purchasing it, so in other words, there's not multiple users allowed or something like that, but if you download the software and use it and haven't paid for it, it's stealing. I actually heard a radio commercial on how you can report people in your company that have stolen uh, or have pirated, I don't know if that's the term, but have stolen software. Stolen's the word, I think, biblically. Stolen software. So there's this number where you can call in and say, this is what's happening. Our company has software that we've not paid a license for, that we don't have the right to use. There's reputation theft. When you steal against someone's, not their tangible possession, but the possession of their name, which is far more tangible than any physical item that they own. Nothing's more valuable than your name. You know, I'm saying that metaphorically, your reputation. And so when we gossip and we slander someone, when rather than going to a person with criticism, when we go to others and leave them with an impression about a person and it's not constructive or redemptive, We erode their reputation in the mind of others. And we're stealing something very valuable to them. Something that's very difficult to replace as well. More difficult to replace in some instances than someone's possessions. Shakespeare, uh, in, in the play Othello, said the following. He said, who steals my purse steals trash. Who steals my purse steals trash. But he that filches, that means steal, he that filches from me my good name makes me poor indeed. Steal my purse, that's trash. Steal my good name, then I am impoverished by that. But, but, but my, my hunch is that many of us don't think about that at all. That I feel very free to criticize people behind their back, to evaluate them, to judge them, to assess them, at times to even pretend to know their motives, though I wouldn't say that. But I begin to assign criticism to their motives. And when I'm doing that to a person, what I'm doing is I'm taking away from the fair name, the good name, maybe the godly name that that person had in this person's mind. I just take that away and leave them with something else. I'm stealing from that person. Perhaps one of the most common ways of stealing in our culture is stealing from our employers. Stealing from your employers. Theft in the workplace is very common. And often goes unnoticed because it's subtle. There's time theft in the workplace. Workers work differently. A lot of us work differently now than a generation ago. Uh, Some of us work on a time card, you know, with a time card, punch a clock, very strict hours here. Others have looser schedules and are paid for a job done, perhaps. But generally speaking, When we come in late and we leave early and we fail to put in the time that the employer expects of us, whether we're on a clock or not, when we're not putting in the time that we've agreed to and that the employer expects of us, we are not only being unfaithful, we are stealing. We're, We're taking money under terms without really fulfilling what we've said we would do, and we're taking money that does not belong to us. When we are paid to do a job with time expectations, 
expectations and we fail to do so, we're taking money that we have not earned. Now, a lot of us are not on a, like an eight, you know, punch in at this hour, punch out at that hour, so it's not quite as clear when you come and when you go. But for those who are in that role, it's just simply, if we're not giving our best to fulfill the job that we've been asked to do, then we are, in essence, stealing from our employer. That, that can be a subtle thing. I mean, it's obvious if you say, I'm sick, and you take sick leave, and you're paid, and you're not sick, that's lying and stealing both. That's obvious. But it's this other thing that, that, that are, we're not really honoring God and honoring our employer by giving them what we owe. We don't give what we owe, but we receive what they owe us. We are stealing from them. As Christians, we should be the ones who set the example in the marketplace. Some of you work at home, work out of the home. Maybe you're a homemaker. Uh, But if you work in the marketplace, if you work and earn money in some profession, um, some job, some trade, we should really be the example in the workplace. Now, I'm not saying we should work the most hours because there are some employers that demand Uh, And we should sort that out with them in integrity. But they require an inappropriate number of hours for us to be able in good conscience to fulfill other requirements in our lives. So I'm not saying that you should work more hours than everyone. But I am saying that we should work fully what we've committed to and that while working, we should not be stealing from our employer, but we should be producing and contributing and working to such a degree that we would be known as the most faithful and diligent workers. And we're going to see in a a minute. The reason is because we're not really working ultimately for the employer, but we're working as worship to God Almighty. And that's the difference. And so we want to be those who are known as the most diligent workers. And so depending on how your concept of work is, where you work, some things might be allowable and some not terms of how much time you can take away and what kind of breaks you can have and what kind of lunch you can have. Some that's very flexible and some it's not. But where it's not flexible, we need to honor the policy. And where it is flexible, even there, we need to ensure that we're working hard and and not merely using swatches of time to, you know, do our own deal, surf the internet, check in with our social media, send personal emails, whatever, that we are seeking to be diligent. And I know some schedules are very loose, so that's hard to apply, but that must be applied. Am I, for the glory of God, honoring him and honoring my employer and the paycheck that I am receiving, the agreement that I have made to work? There's supply theft. I understand. It, it, it seems and is different than armed robbery of a bank to take envelopes and stamps from your employer and use them personally. But that's an issue. To use, if it's against policy, to use a copier for personal copies. Or if it's against policy, to make personal long-distance faxes or calls or something like that. Maybe allowable, but if it's not. There's expense theft in a large company, or maybe not even in a large company. Sometimes expense reports aren't carefully scrutinized. And I'm sure that even where there are, where they are, there's a way to insert a personal expense, a personal entertainment, a personal purchase, and just sort of charge it and let the company pay for something the company really shouldn't be paying for because that wasn't really the intent of the purpose. In other words, if I could stand before my boss and say, this is what I did, is this personal or company, and there'd be a question on it, or he'd say or she'd say no, then I'm stealing if I charge that to the company. Small things, but it's important to remember that small things often lead to bigger things. No one embezzles from a company because they walk in one day and say, well, what's what's on the schedule? Um, I don't know, 9 o'clock meeting, 10 o'clock become an embezzler. I mean, nobody just comes in and out of the blue says, I'm just going to start. It starts with an eroded conscience where there's liberties taken and they grow and grow and grow until there is much greater theft. There's a deeper application of this command, I think, that can go unnoticed, and that is 
stealing from God. Stealing from God. We can steal from others. We can steal from employers. But we can also very easily steal from God. When we break the first commandment, for instance, you shall have no other gods, then we, at that time, when we worship an idol, when we follow an idol in our heart, we're stealing worship that should be given to God. In some ways, stealing relates to all these commands. When we (coughs) break the second commandment and we create a mental image of God, we don't worship, we create images for the worship of God, we, in essence, steal his glory. God said that he's a jealous God. When he says that in that command, do not create any images because I'm a jealous God, what's he jealous for? He's jealous that he be represented in the right way and that his character and his nature be demonstrated accurately and faithfully so that we worship the true God. And when we insert our own image or something else, then the true God's not on display being worshipped. And we steal from his character, we steal from his reputation, we steal from his glory and exalt our own choices and our own ideas at that point. Uh, How about when we take his name in vain? Very similar. We misrepresent him and we steal honor that is due him. How about when we break the fourth commandment and we don't, we treat all our time as our own and we don't set aside time for worship, for instance. Then we really steal from the Lord's time. We steal from something that we joyfully, um, we are to joyfully commit to him. The worship of God with the people of God. And rest as well. We, we make his time our own. And so it's easy to think about how each of these, in some ways, is the stealing of God. Now, I'm, those are implicit. I'm, those are sort of points I'm making that are implicit there. But the Bible is explicit on this as well in one area. And that's in Malachi 3 where God says um, through the prophet, Will man rob God? Question. He's asking, will man rob God? God, God is saying, Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? I mean, you can't imagine taking something from God, robbing him. How does that work? How, you have robbed me. In your t- how have you robbed me? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. So the people of God under the old covenant were prescribed percentage giving, and they weren't giving to that percentage and above that percentage. And so God says to them, you're, you're, you're taking and using and spending things that belong to me. Now, ultimately, everything belongs to God, just like all our time belongs to God, yet he sets aside some time where we are to worship him. Just like all our money belongs to God, he sets aside some that are to be used specifically in this case for the giving uh, to the temple. Now, in the New Testament, the, the, per, the pattern of giving is not percentage giving, but it is grace giving, generous giving, sacrificial giving. And so in the same way, if we are giving to the Lord generously and sacrificially and joyfully, then we are honoring him with our finances. If we are not, I believe the same passage would relate to us, given our hearts, that we're taking something that belongs to him, that we're stealing from God. That, that's, that's direct and explicit. Failure to give generously is robbing God. And, and the reason is because the principle that understand, underlies this is that we don't really own anything. We are managers. We are stewards of God's resources, God's time, God's gifts, God's money. We are to manage them. And that would have been clear to these folks. They were slaves in Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt miraculously, powerfully, gloriously by God. And then he says to them, um, okay, I'm going to bring you into a land so that you are free to worship me. And in Deuteronomy, he says, you're going to have you know, vineyards that you didn't plant. Uh, I'm going to provide you houses that you didn't build. I'm going to provide everything for you. So it would have been very obvious to that first generation that goes into the promised land that, whoa, yeah, of course this is all God's. It was someone else used it, and God took it and gave it to us. This is God's. And so we want to honor God with everything that he's provided. It's easy for us not to think as managers or stewards. We think, I worked for it. I got a paycheck for it. It's mine. Or we think, you know, nine to five is my company's, but all the other time and the weekends, they're mine to do what I want. Uh, My gifts and talents, they are mine to do what I want. But we are managers. We are, the biblical word is stewards of what God has provided. 
He frees us as well from our sin. Jesus saves us. He frees us for our sins so that we can take all that we have and offer it as a life of worship. Our time, our family, our relationships, our abilities, our gifts, our strengths. We can leverage those for the glory of God, for the good of others, for the reaching of the lost, for the building up of his people, his church. We can use our finances the same way that we can earn money and that we can use it for his glory. We can use it for all kinds of different purposes. But ultimately, it's to be used with him in mind, which would include spending money on ourselves, so to, on ourselves, so to speak. But even there, we're doing it for the glory of God with thanksgiving for what he has provided. Jerry Bridges used an author, used several phrases that I thought were helpful to think about this in a little different context, but this is what he said. Quote, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. That's theft. What's yours is mine, I'll take it. That's theft. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Um, that'd probably be selfishness, we might say. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. That's selfishness. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. That's stewardship. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. That's, that's stewarding. That's using what God has provided for us. So there's a number of different ways. I took more time probably than normal to talk about what's forbidden in this command because I think it just stretches out and touches all areas of our heart and mind if we're careful and our consciences are alive and we're thoughtful. What does this command require? Well, there's a scripture in Ephesians that I think tells us directly what this commandment requires, that there's something implicitly in view here. If you're not to steal, what are you to do? What are you to do? Well, Paul answers that question in Ephesians 4. First three chapters of Ephesians are about what God has done for us in saving us. Next three chapters in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are about how we are to live for the glory of God. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal. Okay, that's Exodus 20, verse 15. That's what we've been reading. Let the thief no longer steal. The difference is the thief has now been converted. So the thief is a Christian. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God speaks in the New Testament through Paul, and he says, don't steal, but do this instead. Don't steal, but work hard. Don't steal, but do honest work. So one value, one implicit response of what we can do Not only avoid stealing, but what are we to do positively? We're to work hard. We're to work hard. Don't take what God has given to someone else. Don't take what God has providentially provided for someone else. Don't take what God is, what someone else uh, owns, what belongs to them. Don't take that, but you work. Work is ordained in the creation. Work is in the garden before the fall. So when your alarm goes off tomorrow morning, most of us start work on uh, Monday. So when your alarm goes off Monday morning and you feel, oh, man, I do not feel like going to work. The, The concept of work itself, you cannot blame on Adam. God ordained work before the fall. What happens after the fall is that work is hard and toilsome. That's why you're tired and achy and difficult and you're going to go to work and there's going to be conflict and challenge and you're going to fix something and it's going to break. Okay, that, now that's all because of the fall. But the fact that you are to wake up tomorrow and not take it easy every day of your life but work, that is a gift from God. And we glorify God through our work. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So when we work, we are to work for God. And in a secondary way, we're to work for those uh, who employ us. And we're to work for those whom we serve, customers or however, clients. So we're to work for God. We're to work for our company. We're to work for others, we're to work to do good around us, we're to work to be a witness, we're to work to fulfill God's calling on our lives. So the relationship, why does Paul say the thief should no longer steal, but he should work? Well, 
Because if you work and you earn, you don't have to steal. You have something. It's if you don't work and you think, I'll take what you worked for, that is the problem. If you work, God will supply your needs. God supplies our needs, but God supplies our needs through means. And the primary means that he supplies our needs through, in most cases, in normal cases, is through work. Obviously, some people are unable, they're disabled, they're unable to find work, so there's obvious exceptions to what I'm talking about. But the general principle is that we work and God provides income through our work so that we don't need to steal. So God providentially provides for us, and we don't have to take what God providentially provided for you. The other thing is, if you work... You don't have the idle time to plot and plan and to steal. I can't steal your stuff because I'm too busy working over here on my stuff. I'm cultivating, agriculturally speaking, like they would. I'm cultivating and planting in my own field and harvesting my own field. And quite frankly, this is a full-time job, and I don't have time to sneak around and steal from your field. So it removes that as well. So what, is, what do we do instead of stealing? Work hard. When you go to work for the glory of God tomorrow, you can think, I am honoring God. I am avoiding stealing. I'm, avoid, I'm, I'm fulfilling what the idea behind the command, which is explicit in Ephesians 4.28. Do not steal, but do honest work. And so that I don't steal from my employer, but I glorify God and I'm a witness and I please the Lord with my diligent effort. I'm going to work hard and be faithful. And do the best that I can for the glory of God. And that is pleasing God. That is serving God. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, if you read your Bible and you pray and you have a devotional life, a devotion, and then you walk out and go to work, your worship does not stop when you say amen and close your Bible. Your worship continues through the day as you work for the glory of God. So do not steal, but glorify him by honest, diligent labor. Secondly, the verse says this. It says... Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what he's saying is, you don't take from others, but as a follower of God, as someone that has been freed, to these guys, freed from Egypt, You're no longer a slave, you're free. Or for us, freed in Jesus Christ, you are to live a lifestyle of generosity, a giving lifestyle. Don't steal from others, do just the opposite. The gospel always calls us to do opposite things than what we would naturally do. We would naturally seek to harm our enemies. The gospel calls us to love them. We would naturally seek to curse those who curse us. The gospel calls us to bless those who curse us. We would naturally seek to work hard. Yeah, I agree with that. Don't steal and work hard, and what's mine is mine. And Paul in the gospel would call us, the scripture would call us to work hard because what you have is God's so that you may share with others, is what the scripture says. So don't take, give. What's the opposite of taking what doesn't belong to you? Giving what does belong to you. That's the gospel application. And we certainly start with the Malachi passage, though the New Testament, I don't believe it's percentage giving. I believe it's a, it's a grace giving. So there's a different application. But, but even there, we look and we say, Lord, what I have, how can I give, first of all, to your mission, your purposes? Secondly, how can I use what I have to give in many different ways to others in need, to hospitality? And, and your hospitality may be... May, may need to be creative. Hospitality can be part of our heart. If we don't have goods to share, we at least can share something with people, our time, our presence, our home. Um, But if we have goods, then we can, one way we can share and bless others is by hospitality. There's some people that are outstanding at that in our church that are just regularly having people in their home or inviting people out, and that's at an expense to them. So they worked hard and earned money, and then they're taking part of that and saying, come over, we'll prepare the dinner. You sit down, we'll cover you. Understandably, everybody can't do that at quite the same level. But could you buy a cup of coffee? Or a snow cone, it's that time of year. Could you do that? Could you do something? How about this? I think the Christian lifestyle is not to steal, 
but to be, have a propensity and a heart to pick up the tab in every situation possible. Now, I don't want to frustrate anyone who's unable to pick up the tab. If you're unemployed, let someone else pick up the tab. Humble yourself and receive. That, that's, that's wonderful. But a lot of us have the ability. And so it's good when Christians get in a sincere fight about who's going to pick up the tab. That's a good thing. I mean, that should be the propensity of our heart. It's covered. I've got it. We're Christians. It's covered. He covered us. So it's our joy to cover you. Again, I'm not trying to frustrate anybody who's unable to do that. But if you have means, that's partly what those means are for. They are for serving, blessing, and saying, I got it. It's covered. Whenever we can, given the resources that we have. Working hard, generous lifestyle for the glory of God. That's how we fulfill what's behind this commandment. How did Jesus fulfill this commandment? Well, that's pretty easy if we think about Jesus' life. Jesus never took what was not lawfully his. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus never took. I mean, Jesus' lifestyle was not to take, but his lifestyle was to give. His lifestyle was to give, to give of himself in the service of others. Listen to how Philippians 2 describes Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus is fully God, he's fully God, fully man. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What what Paul is saying is that Jesus is God, but he didn't grasp and hang on to what was rightfully his, but he emptied himself. He became a man, he remained God, became a man, but some of the prerogatives of his deity, like not walking on this planet, but living with his Father in eternity, he laid those aside, he emptied himself, he became one of us as a man to serve, to save us. Jesus' very life can be described as giving, not grasping. It's a great picture. The eighth commandment is, you shall not grasp what is not yours. Jesus goes beyond that. He doesn't just not take what belongs to other people. He takes what rightfully belongs to him and shares and gives and lays down his life. He made himself, that passage says, nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the God of the universe, the God who created everything. Sometimes we feel like I'm not receiving what's owed me. I'm not receiving what is due me physically or with regard to others serving me or with regard to the respect of others or with regard to the notice of others or with regard to the love and attention and affection of someone else or some other people. It's due me and I'm not getting it. Here was Jesus' response. He is due all the glory of the universe. He is due every creature's praise and recognition and adoration constantly. And the whole human race turns away from him and denies him and rejects him and opposes him. And rather than grasping, he empties himself and gives himself for those who are on the take. He lays down his life to save them. That's you and me. We're all by nature on the take, and yet Jesus dies in our place. And think about his death for a minute. He is crucified between two kinds of people. They're the same. Two people who are the same. Thieves. It's interesting. Jesus is crucified by two thieves. There's two guys hanging next to him that are dying for breaking this command We don't know what they took, but they stole, and they are dying. And God looks down, and there are two people that deserve what they are getting, and there's one who's perfectly innocent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, here's the amazing thing. When God looks down, he sees three thieves. Now, I want to be very careful. Jesus never sinned. 
Jesus never stole. He never stole glory from the Father. He never stole someone else's possession. He never stole someone else's reputation. He never stole from an employer. He never stole someone else's products. He never plagiarized and stole someone else's teaching. But God sees three thieves because God takes your thieving and my thieving, and he puts it on Jesus. He credits Jesus with our thieving. So every time we gossip and stole someone's good reputation, that's placed on Jesus. Every time we physically took a possession from someone else, that's put on Jesus. Every time we plagiarized, every time we took some product, some music, some video, some software in our modern world that did not belong to us, that's put on Jesus. Every time we didn't put in an honest day's work yet accepted a full paycheck, that's put on Jesus. Every time we stole, every time we took, every time we took from his glory and took it for ourselves, when we took credit for the work of God, when we lifted ourselves up rather than honoring God and stole his glory, when we stole his time, when we stole his finances, every one of those stealings was placed upon Jesus Christ. And God the Father pours out his judgment upon God the Son. And all of our stealing was placed upon Him in all of God's judgment, the fury of His judgment for all of our sins. We're just talking about one today, one commandment. But all of our sins, God poured out His judgment upon God the Son. God the Father judged God the Son. We deserved it. He took it. He received it. And like the one thief next to Him who believed in Him, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief next to Him receives eternal life because he believes in the innocence of Jesus and ultimately understood something about the substitution of Jesus, that he dies in our place. And the same promise is there for us. We can be forgiven of our stealing. We can be forgiven. I don't want us to walk out of here today. We're never, well, what about this? And what about, and I did this, and we can just get caught up in all that. Well, that's not really, everybody's a thief. Let's agree to that. Let's just talk about God's glory we've all stolen. And I I want us to walk out of here aware of our sin, but aware of the Savior who died to pay for our sin and aware of the Savior who changes us by his power once we're Christians. His Holy Spirit and his word begins to change us so that we become hard workers, not stealers, for the glory of God. And we become givers, not takers, for the glory of God. And we become worshipers of the one who gave everything that we might be reconciled to the Father. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website, gracechurchfrisco.org.